Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Glory to God, somebody. How many of y'all are glad that God is the highest God? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, let's go ahead and dig in. We are going to maximize our time. Turn to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20. One, two, three, read. <coughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, In our time together today, in this installment of our series through order in the church, I would like to talk about today, don't give up on people so easily. Don't give up on people so easily. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that um, you are an enduring and patient God. and that the gospel has rescued us um, from you giving up on us in hell. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that you have rescued us from our sin and from our evil, that now we have been brought from darkness to the marvelous light. Lord, uh, heal this struggling voice today that I may herald your excellencies. And Lord God, open hearts. Open, open the person that's given up on somebody today. Um, they're closed off. They've shut down. God, I pray that they wouldn't just give it another chance. 
but they would just give an opportunity for your grace to give a breakthrough. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Don't give up on people so easily. Uh, many of us have a tendency, we have a list of those things that are non-negotiables. Um, those non-negotiable things that we say, if you do this, I'm done. Everybody can agree with that. Y'all felt that in the deepest part of your soul when I said that. You, you have some things that, that you have that list of things. Now, I'm not, we're not talking about, you know, stay in abusive relationship. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about uh, the, 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 the stuff that's salvageable relationally. And, um, that, that we have some things that we, we, we want to say that if you do these things or if you commit these things against me, I'm done with you. It's funny, though, because if we do the same thing to somebody else, we're expecting heaven and earth to move us towards the opportunity to get the mercy from other people that we don't give to them. Many times in our life, we want to experience what we're not willing to give. But I don't want to act like giving mercy and forgiveness is easy. It is very, very difficult. That's why there's a cross. Jesus Christ's death at the cross shows you how difficult forgiveness is. How brutally he was torn and ripped in order that forgiveness could take place. And so in this passage, it's interesting. It's kind of like a catch-22 for Paul, because Paul, Paul, Paul can let you know he's a very judgmental person. If you read Paul, you'll know he's a black and white dude. There's no gray with Paul. Paul is pretty straightforward with everything. And so the gospel helps him not to be so harsh on people. And so this section of the passage, I had quite the difficulty in praying and exegeting it, understanding what is this section for? And as I began to look at this section of scripture, it became clear with some help what it's here for. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 tells them, tells Timothy, the reason why I left you in Ephesus is that you would teach certain people not to teach false doctrine. He knows that once Timothy rebuctifies them, <laughs> that pretty much when you publicly make a spectacle of someone in front of the gathering of the saints by challenging their unrepentance and their disposition and their wrong, that most of the time people will have a damning view of them long term. So what Paul does is he inserts his own testimony of God's forgiveness on his life and where God has brought him from how far he was gone from God to now how far he's in God in order to motivate Timothy to know, although you rebuke people, you always have restoration in view. 
You always have restoration in view. In other words, you don't write people off as if God can never do anything with them again. Help me today. Because most of us who them people, some of us have the gift of cut off. Someone's got the gift. We, we got the gift of I'm done. We got the gift of chucking the deuces. We have the gift. But I would say that it's convenient, but it may not be a gift. Um, let's read the first verse. I got a lot of points today because I think each point will help us to explain the nuances of not giving up on people. Number one. If you and I are going to recognize that we don't need to give up on people so easily, the first thing that we must do is celebrate God for the growth in our lives. (laughs) This is an important part. Paul says something interesting. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. He knows that his Christian life is strengthened by God through Jesus Christ. He knows that. And so he doesn't take any sort of kudos for where his Christian life is or where it's going or or, or any of the fruit in it. Now, what's interesting is what you're about to hear could sound works-based, but it's not. It's all a reflection of God's strength in his life. It says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. So in a way, someone would look at this and say, well, the reason why God strengthened him is because he was faithful. But you don't understand how this works. Paul wasn't looking for God. God came after Paul gave him strength. So the faithfulness that he has is based on the strengthening that God strengthened him with to give him more strength. That was good. The the, the reason is this. Now, 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 now please don't let me bore you, but stay with me. The idea here or considered faithful here is is, is interesting because it's in the Greek, it's it's called an aorist. Now, in, in, in our English language, we have one past tense. But in Greek, their past tense functions in multiple ways, although we have multiple past tenses in a way, theirs are different. <clears throat> you know, an imperfect, you know, is, 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 is just different in Greek. A perfect points to a particular time something happened and they have continuing effects. An eris is a snapshot of a moment that is a picture, if you will, of a characteriz- characterization of a whole. Like at a funeral, you, you'll see pictures in, in, a, in, in the thing where, you know, people put all the pictures in there. And you just pick one picture. You ever seen one of those pictures? And you see that picture, Big Mama, that's, that's how Big Mama was. And she's smiling in the kitchen with a pot and looking good, right? <laughs> and, and then you're saying in your mind, even though she's not singing, oh, she's probably singing a hymn right now. Because that picture right there characterizes the whole. Yeah. Paul is saying faithfulness based on God's strength, has characterized the whole of my ministry. If, if, if you take a picture of a moment in my ministry, particularly this moment he's talking about that he doesn't define, he says it's characterized by faithfulness. 
<coughs> one of the things that we have to recognize when it comes to where God has brought us is Paul is basically saying, all that God has did in my ministry um, is nothing but a work of God and not short of what he's doing. So Paul is excited and actually thankful that God has given him faithfulness. But what he's saying is, it wasn't always this way. He's saying, what you see now is not what you've always seen. Let me say that again. What you see now is not how it's always been in my life. Can I tell you something, family of God? Some of you, God's brought you a mighty long way. But truth be told, it ain't always been that way. You're better than you were yesterday, hopefully. You're better than you were six months ago. You bet. Why? Because God has given you strength to be better. Paul is casting a vision for him saying, I haven't always been the, this is at the end of his life. So he's had years for God to nurture him and to sanctify him and to work on him. These are probably young preachers, middle-aged preachers, whippersnappers. He said, listen, I didn't become this Pauline monster overnight. He said, it took some people dealing with me, working with me, forgiving me, challenging me, and praying for me. Who have you given up on that you need to pray for? See, the way, listen, this is real easy. This part is easy. The person that you've given up on, just imagine them in the place that they're supposed to be and pray that. Because for us, when you've been wounded by somebody and when you've been hurt by somebody, it's very difficult to think well of them. But Paul is trying to give us a beautiful picture of the fact that faithfulness is something that God motivates in a person. It's not motivated by your anger towards the person. Matter of fact, you know you've given up on somebody in a bad way is if you almost don't wish good for them ever again. Y'all real quiet on me today. You ever had somebody that ticked you off so bad that you didn't pray like them Davidic prayers? You know how David used to pray. David was like, gather him in a valley, God. Send down fire upon all of them. Peel their flesh off of them while they're still alive. Keep their spirits in their bodies so they can feel every bit of punishment from heaven. <laughs> David was a gangster in prayer. Some of y'all are like, I need that in my, I need some legislation for that. But giving up on people is easy. There's no gospel work in giving up on people. There are people that I'm determined not to think good of, that God has to challenge me. You can't keep them there. Look at what Paul says. Then he says, let me go a little bit deeper on this thing because some of us talk about we ain't what we were. He said, let me tell you what I was. This brings me to my next point. What God delivered you from should give you empathy for others. What God delivered you from should give you empathy for others. Look at verse 13. He said, even though I was formerly 
a blasphemer. Now, you got to understand, blasphemer is it's not that you just an unbeliever. Like being a blasphemer is middle finger towards heaven. Now, Paul wouldn't have seen it that way. But his disposition towards persecuting the church was that. And that's why Jesus, it's funny when Jesus came to Paul, he didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? It's, it's, I always am bewildered by that. He said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, what have I ever done to you? And then he begins walking him through his persecution of the church. And at the moment, listen, this is what I like about how God saves. I'm trying not to cry. The, God saves him when he's on his way to do dirt. Now, we ain't talking about he going to smoke weed or have sex. We talking about he going to kill Christians. He says, he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. If you look in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, I don't know if you remember in chapter 7 when Steve, Stephen was getting persecuted. He began prophesying and preaching. He started rolling through Tanakh with excellence, walking through the script. I mean, when you get a chance, read Acts chapter 7. Stephen is getting it in in the book. He's, and he's just an event. He's just a regular member of the church going berserk, teaching, and they, they, they're about to stone him. And he said, the heavens open. Oh, God. I feel the Holy Ghost right there. And when heavens open, he said, I see the Son of Man standing. Jesus Christ. You know, you know you're getting it in for Jesus when he's not sitting at the right hand, but he's standing, looking at you. He said, I see him standing at the right hand of power. And he said, they tore their clothes and began stoning him. And he said, in, ver in chapter 8, verse 1, there was a young man named Saul that was standing there, watching heartily as he was getting stoned. Paul said, I... I approved of a guy getting stoned while he was looking at Jesus with heaven open. I don't deserve the kingdom at all. He said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor and I was arrogant. He said, not only was I a, 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 a blasphemer, a persecutor, he said, he said, I was set in my ways where I thought I was doing the right thing. But then... I believe Paul begins to, I just begin, he, he begins losing it a little bit right here. And he says, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. See, family of God here, how powerful this is. Paul is letting you know the specifics of this testimony that lets Timothy know that as bad as I was, they not as bad as I was, don't give up on them. Let me see if I can make it plainer, because you're looking at me funny. Think back to your testimony. Some of us hold people accountable and hate them for less than what God forgave us of. See, one of the things that kept Paul humble is he knew how sinful his sin was. 
When you know how sinful your sin was, it, it makes you say, who do I think I am? Who, who, do I, who do I think I am? You know, sometimes when me and my wife get in arguments, yes, the pastor gets in arguments with his wife. You know, um, you know those, those breaches in the household, they can change. I don't know if you know this, but in marriage, an issue between a husband and wife can change the entire scope of a household. Just the feel of the house changes, especially when a woman mad. Y'all, y'all don't even have to say nothing. The, the, the temperature, nobody has to touch the thermostat. You, your, your, your disposition is a thermostat for the crib. <coughs> and one of the things for me is I can be a resentful Negro. I, I got the gift of resentment from the enemy. I, I got, I got the, so I'm like, oh, you're going to change the temperature and make the whole house feel like that? Well, let me figure, let me get me a manly way of making this thing feel bad too. How about that? I can go like this too and, and, and tear this whole house up myself. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just being honest. I, I'm in process. I'm just telling y'all, I'm in process. I'm in process. So I, I'm free enough to tell you because God's working on me, and I ain't going to stay the same. I'm just telling you where I am, where I'm going. I need the gospel every day. And so, and I don't know, and you know, you know, and it's funny, you know you need to just stop it, but you just keep it going, right? And then um, if I'm getting on a plane, God will say to me, if this plane went down, was it worth it? Do you want to leave her with that as the last temperature that you experienced? Let it go. And what she did, you, 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 you know, it's bad when the whole, you know, somebody know all your mess and he, Holy Ghost like, really? And I'll be like, I'll FaceTime her and we'll look at each other. And we had this thing kind of where we know God been talking to both of us. That's why it's good to have a Christian spouse. <laughs> and, and, and we looking at each other and we like, I was wrong. And we just bust out laughing and we'll say, can you forgive me? And then Holy Ghost lets me have peace again. You know you say when he don't give you no peace, when you don't be forgiving people. Woo! Anyway, next point. I got a few more and I'll be done. Don't forget what the gospel is for. It's powerful. He gives this, I had to make this a point. It's just one verse, but I had to make this a point because of just out of nowhere what he says. He says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Stop. He said, don't forget that Jesus didn't come in the world to let go of people. He came into the world to take hold of people. 
That's, this is what the gospel is for. It can fix anything. Anything. You name it. It can fix it. Let me see if I can make it plain. My mama, on the door of the refrigerator, there was two bottles in there. One was cod liver oil. See, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. And castor oil. Mm. I don't care what you had. Listen, I don't know if that was some of my mom from Gullah folk and, you know, they from Algeria. So, you know, I'm like, I, you know, you sneeze. I would hide my sneeze. Go get the castor oil. You're like, oh, God help me. Now, I'm telling you, you've had medicine, but you have never had medicine until you had cod liver oil or castor oil. It is the nastiest stuff. And it stay in your mouth for two weeks. It just coats you. <laughs> but I be doggone. That mug be working. Got rid of everything. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. <laughs> Your commitment to apply the gospel sometimes doesn't taste well. Sometimes it just doesn't taste well because you're like, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to be mad at them. I want to remain in the same place with them. I don't want things to be restored with them. I don't want things to be changed with them. I want things to remain the same, God. God says, take this gospel pill real quick. Jesus came into the world for sinners. He said, I didn't come to save those who were good, even though none of y'all are. That's the inferential point. <laughs> he said, Paul says, I'm the worst of them. Next point. Don't underestimate the oil of God on a changed person. <laughs> Don't underestimate the oil of God on a changed person. Look at what the text says. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus may, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. Stop. God let Paul get away with sin for a while so that he can show how patient he is with the worst of people. In other words, one of my favorite adages in the scripture is the Lord, the Lord, strong and abundant in loving kindness, slow to anger and, and, and giving grace to multiple generations. That's a statement of God's patience with us. Paul is talking about how patient God was with him and how God didn't let go of him no matter what he was going through. I remember when we first started having children. And you know, you just, when you first have children, you just pounce on them, on every little thing, because you just, you know, you think you gotta fix everything really, really quickly. You don't give them no room, and you pop them for nothing on this, and you pop them for that, come in, you all that. And then you realize it's not, they're doing what you say, but they're not growing. 
So what you end up doing is you give them more space and more patience as you instruct them. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is calling for with Timothy in this passage. He's calling for him, for those who he's going to rebuke and those who he's going to challenge. He says, I want to make sure that you recognize that God wants to show extraordinary patience like he showed extraordinary patience before I get saved. He wants to also show that extraordinary patience for the saved. But then he says, as an example, to those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul was like, listen. Look at my life. Do you think that a persecutor of the church would be like he is? Do you think Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament? He wrote the most books in the Bible. He planted the most churches than anyone else, but he was the worst one. (laughs) In other words, the worse you were, the better you are. Okay. Let me see if I can make it plain. It was a woman. Jesus was sitting in a house. And as Jesus was sitting in the house, he was sitting in the house, and a woman came in and broke an alabaster of nard. And she starts wiping his feet with her hair and her tears, and, and she's just wiping them down. Everybody's looking on her all indignant. <clears throat> and... Simeon, whose house it was, Simon, whose house it was, was looking at her like, man, if he, he ain't no prophet. If Jesus was a real prophet and a leader, he would, t- he would know that that woman ain't worth nothing. And the Bible says, I like the way it says this, in Jesus knowing their thoughts. He sits up and says, he said, this is your house. He, now, Jesus, that's a trip. He in somebody else's house about to talk crazy to a man in his own house. Anyway, y'all don't get that. I get it. Um, He says, I've been in your house all this time. You ain't even washed my feet because you're supposed to take care. He said, you ain't done nothing for me. But he said, this woman, since she came in here, did not cease to do what she's doing. He says, the one who is forgiven much is thankful for much. And that's what he's echoing here in this passage as he's talking about this. And then he takes a parenthetical pause. And as he begins to take a parenthetical pause, he says now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. In other words, sometimes when you recognize what God has brought you from, see, y'all ain't there yet. But, but, but I'm going to tell you right now, when you recognize what God brought you from, something, I believe right here, Paul parenthetically paused and put his feather down or his pen down, and he stopped typing. And he began, to, he began to just worship and lift up God because of what he remembered that God brought him from and brought him to. He says here, he says, Timothy, my son, he said, I'm giving you instruction. This instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. And so he's telling them, (coughs) he's saying, son, 
I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to remember, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 14, um, the, the elders laid hands upon you and the gifts of the Spirit was flowing and there were prophecies about you that you're walking in right now. It's funny, the prophecy probably was connected to his commitment to help establish churches and deal with hard things, not some bright future. That's, that's for free. I, I, I love that right there. But last, last thing, and I'm done. Let go of people who refuse to change in order that they may be restored. Let go of people who refuse to change in order that they may be restored. Look at what the text says in verse 19. Having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, that is, faith and a good conscience, and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them, now this is interesting. Now this, is going, this ain't just before the church. This is for every church that these guys' names are being brought up. He says, among them are Herminius and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. What does that mean? Delivered over to Satan. Before I come to that, let me tell you and frame this. So the idea here is because they have committed some public atrocity, this is the challenge that they're dealing with. Now, many of us utilize Matthew 18, for if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And we utilize that to just say, okay, you can have churches with two or three people gathered. But in the context, it's talking about <coughs> things that you bind and loose as a church. So what he's done here is because of their lack of commitment to doing that, whenever the church gathers and someone refuses to repent of something in particular, what the church does is communicate that person before the church. And why? Because there's, a, there's an official power that the local community has to remove, to invoke God to remove his hedge of protection from around someone. That hedge of protection is what Satan couldn't get through in Job's life. Every believer has a hedge of protection that limits how much Satan can get to your life. When Satan does get in your life, it's because either you let him in or the Lord let him in to show something off in your life. However, this is not, this is a full removal. If you remember Job, he would say, don't do this. You can have this, but not this. You can have this, but not this. He made limits on it. But with this right here, this is scary. This is when the full hedge of kingdom protection is removed from a person and they're delivered over to Satan and given over to the fullness of what they're asking for because they haven't repented. And Satan now becomes their schoolmaster. And he begins to whip them into shape, hopefully, now for his mindset, not to help them to come back. But for Satan, it's to take them further out. But God uses it as a mechanism to bring them to the end of themselves. There's some people that some of y'all are on one end of the spectrum. Y'all just give on people easily. Some of you all never let go of people enough to let God work on them. Some of y'all think y'all are God. 
If you get in the way, my mama used to tell me this, if you get in the way of God's belt, you may get spanked too. <laughs> you have to let people go. <laughs> you have to let, some people you have to let, that doesn't mean you hate them. That just means in the process you pray for them. I'm done. <laughs> At my church, my, my, the church I was in in Dallas, I'll never forget my pastor stood in front of the church and I had never seen this in my life. I've been in church all my life. I had never seen. He like named 12 people that he was handing over to Satan. Because the church was like 6,000 people. I was, you got to understand, I was, in my, I was 22. I ain't never seen nothing like that. I'm looking around like, he calling people names in the church. <laughs> I'm looking around. Everybody else, they used to it when it happens. They don't have an offer. So I'm looking like, wow. Man, this is crazy. So about two, three years later, my pastor gets out. And as he gets up, he said, two years ago, there was a man who had chosen drugs over his family. Um, and he had lost his family and he lost his wife and his kids. They walked away from him because he walked away from them. Then he said, let us kill the fatty calf because the prodigal son has come home. The dude gets up, comes up the middle of the aisle, and I lost it. I, I mean, I was broke down. Then, it, then the elders laid hands on him and reestablished the hedge of protection of God around him. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. Then he said, whenever we sin, we lose things. But every now and then, God will give them back to you. And he said, he told his wife to come up. And he remarried them in front of the church. And the, and the kids came around and became their court. I don't even know why he preached that Sunday. Listen, I was like, we, done, we heard the gospel already. I was laying in, like, this wasn't no charismatic church either. I was stretched out in the aisle, tore up. <laughs> Why? Because I saw when, he let, when they let the process of God work on somebody, just work. Get out the way, and then when they come back, you restore them and do not treat them according to their sin. Why? Because God will not treat you according to your sin. I'm done. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.